Hey guys, this is Tim Powell from the Minerals and Royalties Authority. I recently sat down with Daniel Smith, president of Saints Energy, a family office based in Oklahoma City that's focused on non-op and royalties in multiple basins, including Bakken, Anadarko Basin, Permian, and Haynesville. Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Daniel had to say. Daniel, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. So... Uh, looking forward to jumping in here. You guys are a, a single family office, so I think you know that's really the backbone of the mineral space, right? So I'm looking forward to digging in. Uh, beforehand, let's jump into your personal background. I know you come from, from energy roots, and let's paint a little context for everybody, just where you grew up, your, your family's heritage and energy, where you went to school, your career, et cetera, and then we'll jump into Saints Energy. You bet. Yep. So I've lived in Oklahoma City all my life. I went to school at the University of Oklahoma and got an energy management degree with an energy economics minor. Started out with Chaparral Energy, first two years working mostly the Rockies and uh, the San Juan Basin. Uh, Did that and then jumped on with Range Resources for eight years, was the land manager there for uh, portions of Oklahoma. Also did a little gas marketing and A&D, and that was a great job. In 2015, we shut our Oklahoma City office down, and that's when I just took the severance and uh, and then started Saints Energy, and that's where we're at today. So your professional background, you worked in the San Juan, you worked in the Rockies, so you didn't really have any direct exposure to the Permian? Didn't have uh, really anything in the Permian. On the Texas side, I did some gas marketing on the panhandle part, um, and later down the road right now i'm in a partnership with a group drilling some horizontal step outs in eddy county uh just north of carlsbad so that's pretty that's my current exposure in addition to the the minerals once we started buying minerals in the permian in in 2015. so very good let's talk to me a little about saints energy so you i mean do you come from an entrepreneurial family do you classify yourself as an entrepreneur why why start Saints Energy? So you <laughs> chaparral and range together. This is how many years of experience in the space before you decide to launch your own shop? Yeah, so I was in corporate for 10 years. Both companies were great to work for. A lot of experience. Um, at the height of range, I was running or overseeing eight rigs from the land side. We were drilling conventional wells in Oklahoma and uh you know, running about four different brokers, three different title attorneys. Um, it was it was fast and furious, but it was fun. I was younger then, uh, so I could I could pivot a lot lot quicker than I can now. And really, kind of what spearheaded me deciding not to go to headquarters uh, once we shut our Oklahoma City office down was uh, my wife. She's my cornerstone. She. She knew that I always eventually wanted to go out on my own. My father's an independent geologist. He has been an independent most of his life. And that kind of helped me as well, talking to my dad about, you know, taking that next step. Because it is scary, you know, when you go out on your own. I think what we read is 80% of new companies fail starting out. And so uh, I was having my second child at the time. And, you know, that's always scary. 
making sure you can provide for your family uh, because corporate at that time paid very handsomely and it was a good it was a good steady paycheck and, and good benefits you know I think anybody that wants to go out on their own they should they should take that risk whether you fail or not I mean you can you, you can't look back and say you, you know hey at least I tried and if I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would be as happy as I am now with the freedom and flexibility of being on your own. The mineral space, honestly, when I started Saints, I, I wasn't planning on being a mineral company. I, I, what I enjoyed the most was really just putting prospects together. And initially, I was kind of putting them together with my father. Uh, drilling prospects. And that's what we did initially. We put some together and we sold some to several operators and, uh, and made some good money. And then um, we noticed that people started, you know, buying minerals and the mineral game in 2016 uh, really was kind of at its height. We just, with, with my dad, we just kind of started prospecting for minerals instead of just leasehold and bought. And, you know, we would sell sell down, which would pay for what we bought. Uh, and then, you know, obviously inventory, what we, we felt had longer term value. And that's kind of, it kind of spiraled into that kind of side of the industry. And I enjoy it. Look, I get to get, do business with a lot of people in a lot of different states um, and being able to pivot into different basins. You know, you start learning more about the basins. You start learning more about how the wells perform in certain basins and you know you just use an educated guess on what you think what value is and with saints energy being more of a family shop you know we're kind of i'm viewing things on more of a long-term basis uh so sometimes we will take that risk of you know buying minerals for a more long-term hold you know for my kids and their kids kids if our industry still around hopefully and that's kind of, you know, we jumped into the Delaware Basin. I think that was 2016, 17, and took a big risk in that area. Uh, and, it, and it paid off pretty well for us and freed up cash to kind of start to look at other basins that I wasn't as comfortable with, but knew that there was going to be some, some upside there. And really, when I'm looking at new areas, I just it's kind of the old adage, you go where oil has been found before. So, you know, we look into these basins where, you know, you see kind of what the field field averages have been and then get with my father on geology and give it a once around. And, and that's kind of how we've, we've grown kind of organically like that. As we all plan our travel and BD schedules for the next two quarters, a must attend event that needs to be on your calendar is the Mark Mineral and Royalty Conference taking place at the Post Oak Hotel in Houston on April 18th and 19th. With two days of action-packed networking, panel discussions, and presentations, the Mark Mineral and Royalty Conference proves to be one of the best networking opportunities of the year to get deals done and form new partnerships in the mineral space. For more information, please visit mineralconference.com or email info at mineralconference.com. Well, you know, first off, so you're, what, six years into it now? So congrats on that. You know, the statistic... I go to a lot of business seminars for Tony Robbins. So there's typically, let's call it a thousand people in the room, mostly CEOs. And the statistic is 96% of all businesses fail in the first five years. And oh, then wow. of those 4% that survive, 
96% are gone the next five years. And it, the, the iteration continues. Wow. So when you play that out, you know, my, my family has a family business, not in oil and gas. Uh, my grandfather started it 50 years ago. My dad's always one of the last people standing because making it four decades, five decades is, is <laughs> tough. I mean, you look at financial meltdowns, COVID, technology disruptions, uh, ESG movements, right? All these things. Yeah. You, you don't build into the business plan on day one, but it, it's it's the fun of it too, you know, to ride the highs and, and grind through the, the lows. So I, mean, I just stepped out on my own this year and um, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I'm loving the the freedom of it to, to kind of explore and I'm finally scratching that entrepreneurial niche. So it's a lot of fun. So going back to, to Saints Energy. So I remember when we initially connected, you talked about some of your um, in-laws and extended family being in grain and, and rail. Do you guys do anything outside of energy or is that, is it, is energy diversification for them through saints? Just curious. On my in-law standpoint, this is pretty much, you know, they're small partners and saints and they uh, are in this industry through saints for the most part. They also still are in the grain side where they develop seed and, so they have a bunch of land throughout Oklahoma where they develop these grass seeds. And then with the land, um, it's kind of been a blessing with the wind farms because they've, they've got a lot of turbines on those lands, which, you know, kind of diversifies their portfolio as well. And then they own minerals. And so they've kind of always been in the oil and gas space from us, from kind of the mineral small side of it. We've come together and um, we've grown that mineral space for them, so to speak. My expertise is mostly oil and gas. And, you know, you kind of stick with what you know. We've stepped out with some real estate and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been good because, you know, you, when you start making money in our industry, you, you, you do need to figure out other ways to find those cash flow streams, you know, just from a hedge bet and, and real estate, which is, you know, oil and gas is real estate, kind of go hand in hand. And I would say, when I'm looking at a deal, you know, I'm looking at a, a certain payout on my investment when it comes to real estate or, or even wind turbines, which we've looked at um, and we currently are looking at still, you know, you can kind of push a payout further out, especially in regards to wind turbines, because, you know, there's always been a significant amount of capital put into wind turbines and these companies uh, plan on producing those wind turbines for quite some time. I think what I've read is they replace those blades eight to 10, every eight to 10 years. And, you know, look, the wind doesn't blow every day, but unlike an oil and gas well that continues to, to decline and deplete, you know, you got that wind turbine, you know, for a very long, longer period of time. Um, we have the PPAs as well, right? So there's, yeah. you know, you, you got it locked in, you know, what you're getting over whether it's a 10 year or 15 year and you can take on merchant risk after that, or you can get another PPA in place. So from an underwriting standpoint, it's far less risky if you are in an established project, right? Correct. 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 And, and you know, like right now in the, in the mineral space, and we've seen it these past two weeks where we've kind of lost out on deals where we've been the highest bidder, but uh, the seller just didn't like the multiple. And so what I'm seeing in that realm is the transactions that are actually occurring are around the 40 month off current cash. Well, you know, a lot of guys that have been in the business, 
they really don't like that. They want to sell at a much higher and, and they have, you know, in the past five years, but, you know, reality is kind of setting in and um, current administration with, with all their, with all their rules and the ESG and, and somewhat kind of a fear mongering way of, you know, trying to eradicate fossil fuels. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's spooked a lot of buyers and, and really pushing that payout really far out as opposed to looking at, you know, a wind turbine deal, like you said, I mean, we, you've got a much longer uh, period and you also have the administration on your side too. And, you know, from a, to answer your question, from a diversification standpoint, you know, doing a little bit of it, but it's again, back to the old adage, stick to what you know. And this is really, this is kind of what I, what I, what I know. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to Opportune LLP for sponsoring our Minerals and Royalties podcast. As a leading global energy business advisory firm, Opportune is well positioned to provide world-class technical, financial, and operational capabilities to minerals and royalties companies. Whether it's back office outsourcing, resource and reserve definition, land due diligence and administration, GIS mapping, valuation work, data and system integration, financial reporting, tax advisory, or buy and sell side assistance, Opportune LLP has got you covered. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Is your team interested in de-risking their underwriting on minerals acquisitions? What about maximizing the value of your minerals on exits? Source Energy is pioneering energy intelligence to help you stop guessing when, where, and if wells are going to be drilled and completed on your minerals. If you're interested in tracking daily frac crew activity, buying white space before permits are filed, buying permitted acres just before the rigs show up, buying minerals at permit pricing when drilling is in progress, buying ducts with imminent flush production, or maximizing the value of your permits and ducts anytime you exit your minerals, then please visit www.sourceenergy.com minerals or email info at sourceenergy.com for a free demo. I also want to say thank you to Noble Royalties, who's been a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997. With the ever-changing landscape of the energy industry, Noble's team urges EMPs, mineral funds, and private families to rethink how they buy and sell their minerals. Noble's legacy and experience will assist in delivering effective solutions to EMPs and private owners alike on how to best maximize their mineral ownership in this ever-changing market. If you're interested in having a conversation about what might be the best solution for your company, fund, or family, then please reach out to Chase Morris at cmorris at nobleroyalties.com or Shannon Manor at smanor at nobleroyalties.com. On this stuff in, in renewables and in real estate, have you done it? Has it been tax-driven strategies to protect you know, some of your current income through 1031s? Or is oh, it just yeah, yeah. really, yeah, okay. Yes, and, and you know, the 1031s, <laughs> I think sometimes you can get a little carried away with just wanting to do a 1031. And from a standpoint of, you know, we've, we've done some 1031s when we sold minerals and we bought some minerals. You know, I think a 1031 comes into play more when you're dealing with a, a very large amount of money. I don't think a 1031 really should come into play when you're when you're not uh, simply because, you know, you're look, taxes typically go up. You know, they don't typically go down. So when I'm going to do a 1031 from a mineral sale. And again, depending on the amount of money we're talking about, 
putting that in real property, I think is a really good hedge bet. And, you know, how we did our office building, it, it, you know, that's kind of what we did. It wasn't a 1031, but it was, it was just trying to figure out how to diversify with the revenue you're receiving to keep your business going, not only growing, but just continuing to stay in business, um, especially in this industry. I mean, it's, it's tough. And so you do have to you do have to start getting creative and uh, and really maximize uh, what you every dollar you make and how you can keep that in play. Otherwise, you just die on the vine, uh, so to speak. Yeah. How how much you mentioned kind of the administration and everything a little bit. There's a lot of uh, of activity that's being spurred around increases in taxes going forward. How much you know brain damage have you guys put into that, and has it altered your strategy at all um, in the last twelve months? Of course, we think about it. If you're if you're paying taxes, that means you're making money, so that's a good thing. I mean, I I, I hate to kind of say that, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's the Democrat motto, but uh, I don't think you should really solely focus on okay, how am I going to to uh, handle my business uh, with these taxes going up because, you know, things change. What we do is, you know, we're drilling some wells out in New Mexico. Uh, that that kind of helps out. The DCs help out. Some of these guys that just, they're just solely mineral companies. Their revenue is solely from mailbox money. You know, you got to put that money to work. And right now, what we're trying to do is just trying to buy more companies so we can continue to grow that cash flow, that monthly cash flow. Well, that's great. But yeah, you do need to find other alternatives to that, that can help counter that revenue. And, and the only other thing I can think of, what we're doing is participating in wells or, or drilling wells. Um, and, and that way, uh, you, know, you can offset a little bit of that, that revenue. But yeah, to answer your question, I don't, it is something we think about, but it's not something I, I solely focus on. Yeah. And I think that's, that's fair. Um, you know, a lot of people say, be conscious of tax policy, but don't let it drive your business model. Cause that's yes. not a, it's not a sound business model, right? Or at least, you know, when I see funds that are being raised that are purely around a tax strategy, a lot of investors don't like that. They want to have it as a, as an added benefit, but not the sole reason to invest right into an, yeah. in, into a partnership. So broadly speaking, I think what you're really kind of spelling out here is that you guys are a business running, you know, a balance sheet that wants to make money and you're a bit opportunistic, mostly kind of non-op and minerals. You do a little bit in the wind renewable space, a little bit of real estate, but walk me through your portfolio, where it is today. And then we can get into, I know you guys did a big override uh, acquisition at the end of 2020. We'd love to go through that. I think that was an interesting deal also in the heart of COVID, in the Anadarko, it's an interesting transaction just as a case study in itself. But you know, a- after we go through all that, we can really break down what are you guys looking for going forward? You know, what, what, are, what should companies think about when they think about Saints Energy? Um, the reason I kind of want to talk about the diversification strategy, I see a lot of family offices like to do business with other family offices because there's a lot of different ways to, to play together, right? Um, yeah. And so I think that's one thing that is that I've seen family offices that are involved in minerals usually get brought in from the real estate angle or vice versa. And then you get this kind of club deal dynamic where people can partner up on deals together or, you know, you get to a level of trust, you can sell stuff down or 
or, or whatever. But um, let's start from the top. So kind of walk me through the portfolio today and where it stands and, and kind of the overall strategy in terms of managing that portfolio. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. When you've been in this industry for so long, you start meeting new, new people, which is great, which is what I love about this industry is, is always meeting new people. And it's such a dynamic industry. In 2020, we partnered with some guys and uh, we acquired Riviera, which uh, was the Olin Energy. We, we, we acquired a lot of their minerals and their overrides. And, and it, was a, uh, it was a very tough process, mostly because of COVID, uh, mostly because crude oil was, you know, $35 to $40 a barrel at the time we were looking at it. And natural gas was, you know, $1.50 to two. So it was a really scary time very nervous about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we took that leap of faith and, and luckily, you know, we won it and pricing rebounded, uh, shortly thereafter, which w- was great. Um, it, it, it was, it was perfect timing deal, but you know, a lot of it's luck, you know, and I know a lot of guys in our industry, we all do that are really well-respected professionals that, uh, have had great prospects, but it was just bad timing, mostly because of product pricing, which, you know, we can't control. And, you know, that's one thing that you ask if I harp on taxes. Well, I harp more so on product price and I probably shouldn't because I can't control that, but it does stick in my crawl when I am evaluating prospects and, you know, and this prospect that we, we bought back in November, what I liked about it was it was in the, the better rock, uh, in Oklahoma and East Texas. And we had some good Louisiana uh, assets as well, but the diversification between crude oil and natural gas. And, you know, at the time it predominantly produces more gas than crude oil, which I like, you know, I, I think we all can agree that from a long-term standpoint, natural gas is is kind of the the darling between the two hydrocarbons, you know, crude oil, natural gas, and so that asset uh, really kind of bolstered our cash flow, obviously with with the uptick in product pricing, and allowed us to be a little, possibly a little more aggressive on on future acquisitions. And that asset also had a lot of non-op in it, so you know, we, we could use that mailbox money, so to speak, to participate in more wells and also grow our base production through those additional wells. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to Noble Royalties, who's been a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997. With the ever-changing landscape of the energy industry, Noble's team urges EMPs, mineral funds, and private families to rethink how they buy and sell their minerals. Noble's legacy and experience will assist in delivering effective solutions to EMPs and private owners alike on how to best maximize their mineral ownership in this ever-changing market. If you're interested in having a conversation about what might be the best solution for your company, fund, or family, then please reach out to Chase Morris at cmorris at nobleroyalties.com or Shannon Manor at smanor at nobleroyalties.com. Need energy industry management experience at your fingertips? Opportune LLP, a leading global energy business advisory firm, has the capabilities needed to overcome your minerals and royalties team's technical, operational, and financial challenges. To learn more, search Opportune's podcast E2B, Energy to Business, on Apple and Spotify Podcasts, where Opportune examines emerging financial and technology trends and provides a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, 
create opportunities and execute market strategies. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Predicting operator behavior is the name of the game in the mineral space, but using permits and relocations alone to do this is not enough. Detecting well pads and frack ponds in order to see which permits are on the rig schedule, discount permits that won't ever be sputted, and determine which ducks are next up on the frack schedule is key to de-risking your underwriting. By using satellite imagery and AI, Source Energy shows oil-filled well pad construction before permits are filed, shows frack pond filings even before the crew arrives, and shows pinpoint frack crew movements daily, so you can get ahead of drilling activity and completions. If you're interested in leveraging this technology to revolutionize your ground game, then please feel free to visit www.sourceenergy.com minerals or email info at sourceenergy.com for a free demo. Let, let me ask you a question. So the non-op exposure you have, is it through privates or do you have some public exposure? You don't have to name names, but what I'm getting at is privates no, right now aren't, their feet aren't held to the fire with wall street like public companies are and with prices going up as aggressively as they have in the last six months drill baby drill right and so Mm -hmm. as a non-op investor it's actually that uh cycle of cash flow is much quicker and it's a there's a lot of folks who play minerals in non-op that have really been skewing towards non-op this year because it's just been a better you know they're able to get better opportunities if you have cash you can kind of take people out or, you know, go in and, and recycle that cash flow faster. What's been your experience? Yeah. So this asset, I can't remember how many operators, there, there's a lot, but it, it's, it's a good blend between private and public. And the public companies that we're under, our assets are under, are the more active operators. Uh, so that, you know, that's been a blessing. Also in, on this asset that we bought, the NANA comprised of minerals that our predecessor owned that they participated with. So what was nice about that is we have eight eighths of the of the royalty interest. So from this asset standpoint, you know that's great. They're they're minerals they owned and they're minerals they participated with. So we're really maximizing the sure. revenue on that mineral basis. We're constantly getting proposals. Where we're constantly having wells drilled on us. So you know it's kind of the old adage back when I was in corporate. How do we maintain our base production. We always want to keep our base production flat because that's what we're going to be borrowing off of. That's what we're going to be running our our numbers off of from a go forward. And as long as there is development, whether it's a lot of development or a little, as long as we keep that base production flat, I I can forecast not only our cash flow, but I can forecast our daily oil production. I can forecast our daily gas production uh, a lot easier. So that's kind of where we are with that. You know, Oklahoma has been really, has been a really active state in drilling uh, right now. Um, I can't remember how many rigs we have running on our, on our assets. I want to say it, we have at least three, but it's also opera friendly. So operator friendly. So, uh, you know, people are a little more aggressive and, and, and kind of, you know, similar to Texas and, and Louisiana. And if you have the publics, you know, you have the majors drilling, that helps out as well. The private guys are, are, are great too, but I feel like the public guys are going to be a little more aggressive on the infield drilling uh, than the private guys just to keep their base production flat and increasing 
asset wise, the Bakken, we've, we've got a little bit in the Bakken and, and that's really kind of upticked quite a bit, which has been nice. We haven't really seen anything really happen in the powder. I'd like to see some more activity in the powder river, but East Texas is, is on fire. And I, I wish we could acquire more in East Texas. There's a very large disconnect between buyer and seller in East Texas right now. So transacting in, in that area has been pretty difficult. Uh, and, and we've been, we've been pretty aggressive on our, on our uh, pricing over there. But going back to Oklahoma, you know, the Permian's the darling in, in the shell game. But if I can buy minerals in Oklahoma for significantly less and maybe the wells aren't performing as good as the Permian, but my entry price is so much lower that my rate of return actually turns out to be much greater in Oklahoma than it is in Texas, because I'm just not simply, I'm not paying as, as high. Yeah. I was talking to someone privately the other day and they were talking about the ground game prices in the Permian have, have gotten to a point in the, in the frothy areas where they're really high, almost to the point where they're, they're on par with what end buyers are willing to pay for aggregated packages. So they look at it and they were like, if you're paying 30, 35, 40,000 an acre for the premium stuff. And then the ARB there for doing all the work is 2000, 3000. Like you're deploying so much capital for a skinny return where you can go and try to find little pockets and more out of favor basins. And you can just, velocity of capital, right? You can put that capital to work and, and kind of compound the returns. And it, it, it's a better terms of rate of return, not fall in love with, I got to be in the Permian or in this basin, right? So no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, would you say you guys are aggregating assets through marketed processes or you're looking for big consolidated assets that maybe have some hair on it? Or do you have a ground game? Because uh, I wasn't aware. I, I kind of coined you guys more as a like an Anadarko shop, but you got some stuff in a variety of basins. So it looks like you're opportunistic. I know the Riviera asset, I think you bought it through EnergyNet. And so how are you sourcing your deal flow just for folks listening out there? Yeah, we, we do it on all fronts. I have an organic ground game. I have a couple of teams that we just, we hammer organically. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, you don't acquire as much, obviously. Uh, it's more of a patient long game. But, you know, you're buying the minerals right, which is good. We also go through all the outlets to, you know, look for bigger shops. And like I mentioned earlier, we, we've recently been the highest bidder or, or close to the highest bidder on, on several large packages. Um, one of which, you know, it just the company decided they're not going to sell um, because they just didn't didn't like like the price. So, you know, we'll continue to evaluate deals and we'll continue to to give the best price we can. You know, it's hard to ignore the media right now. And I say that because it seems like everything I've read, you know, by 2030, fossil fuel, oil consumption, you know, it's going to be down. And I don't know, you know, part of me just says, don't buy into it. But, you know, you have to buy into it a little bit. And why that's important is because I need to decide how long do I want to push my payout? And what people I think tend to forget on the mineral space is paying taxes. 
this is just mailbox money. I mean, you might as well, you know, if it's just for simple math sake, if it's making a hundred thousand dollars a month, well, after taxes, you're making 50 to 60,000. So really that's kind of the number you need to be working on when you're going to be making your offer is, okay, well, how long do I want to push that out? Do I want this to be a four-year payout or do I want this to be an eight-year payout? Okay, well, if I want this to be an eight-year payout and I, I want to be aggressive because I think the asset has a tremendous upside, there's plenty of reserves left in the ground, there's only been one well drilled you know, per unit horizontally, that's great. But also, where are we going to be as an industry by 2030? What do I think product pricing is going to be? Uh, you know, the strip's always nice to look at. I think right now we're crude oils and backwardation. You know, natural gas looks good right now. Uh, and, you know, like I alluded to earlier, you know, we're, we're bullish on natural gas, you know, from a long-term standpoint. So that's why we're looking at the Haynesville, East Texas, Louisiana. I'm okay with paying a higher multiple to push my payout because I know that I'm going to be in this game until I retire, which is going to be a very long time, hopefully knock on wood. So one thing I think is interesting when you, when you look at what are prices going to do in the future and ESG headwinds and everything. So let's just say that supply gets restricted over time through regulation and restricted access to capital. Um, we already saw it this year, prices will jump. And, and so when you think about tier one rock at some point tier one rock is going to be gone or largely drilled up but as prices soar tier two rock becomes economic and so it it's interesting to see how that cycle plays out and how esg in, in a way if you are a prudent operator or from merrill's perspective under a prudent operator it could make Tier two, tier three rocket developed over time, just as a, a pure function of you know commodity prices going up, just for supply demand issues, right? Because that's that's the thing. I mean, what I found just outrageous is uh, Elizabeth Warren coming out and accuse, and I don't want to get political, but accusing oil and gas companies of protecting their profits, and that's why oil and gas prices are going up. I mean, it's just obscene um, the logic loop. Yeah, on you're that. damned if you um, do, and you're damned if you don't. Exactly. Yeah. So, but. Either way, I mean, that that's the reality of it. I mean, if you own minerals under the right stuff and prices are going up, it's it's good, uh, right? I mean, lots of activity, but all being half the price. It's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. I think if you have, own a portfolio and you reverse engineer the different scenarios of more activity, lower prices, less activity, but you happen to be under that activity at the higher prices, what the greater return is over time. Like that comes down, it's a geology game and trying to, you know, being the best stuff, right? Uh, well, yeah. The best operators. Well, and that's kind of like Oklahoma, like where we talk about how, you know, the Anadarko versus the Permian, you know, the, the entry price. And look, you're right. Tier one acreage is going to get drilled out and people are going to have to start using or looking at their geologists more seriously on where we're going to step out. And there's plenty of tier two acreage out there. Plenty. What's going to be interesting in our industry is how our completion techniques are going to continue to improve. And we look at, you can look at everybody's engineering and say, okay, how many barrels are in place and how many barrels are recoverable? Well, today, yeah, we can recover X percentage, but in five, 10 years, that those recoverables are going to increase. That percentage is going to increase. So we use those new completion techniques on tier two, but we can also, I think on tier one acreage that 
yeah, we re-enter and we just, we, we can recover the hydrocarbons better. And maybe that's what we do is we come back and we, we, we put those stimulation, those different stimulation techniques on our tier one, but we also can put those in the tier two where we actually, what was once considered tier two, now that we are recovering a lot more, that tier two essentially could become a tier one. No, it's, it's for sure. And then on ESG, there's an interesting play there too, when you're re-entering wells and you're not fracking. Um, it depends what the capital is, but I, a group I'm associated with that's launching the SLU marketplace in the Permian, they have a sister company called Scandia Energy that raised all their money from pensions in the UK. And they were a quote unquote green operator. So they did a lot of EOR with different technologies, but they didn't frack and they use clean chemicals and they did a variety of things that when you looked at their carbon footprint is very low. It's CO2 ejection, a number of things, right? And they were able to attract European pension capital. So I don't know, it, we, we have a, an innovative industry and I think it always reinvent itself. I think the rules change and you got to adapt to the rules and it'll you continue to go on and on, right? And then if you start, you can't be ignorant to it, like you said. So you got to look at, you know, at the end of the day, I think natural resources is a bundle of sticks from a land perspective. And so if you can maximize the wind and the solar potential or the storage or, or, or the carbon credits along with your oil and gas, and you can really squeeze all the juice out of the orange there, that's, that really becomes more of the game going forward, not one or the other. So I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Well, yeah. And, and you look at the, the methane report that we're, you know, our, our emissions on those is down from 2012 levels. I mean, you know, so we're, we're working on that and, and that's good. We need to hype that up and, and let the market and people know and investors know that, you know, we are listening to them. We are trying. No, for sure. All righty, Daniel. Um, enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on and, and shooting the shit with me. Uh, it's been good getting to know you the last few years and finally getting to meet you in person over these last few months with Nape and the reception the other week. So appreciate you coming on and we'll, we'll be in touch. You know, cheers to a prosperous 2022. Amen. Hey, I appreciate it, Tim. You take care as well. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. The Minerals and Royalties Authority is a specialist advisory firm focused exclusively on the minerals and royalty space for oil and gas and renewables. With our leading content platform and thought leadership, our team is continually looking to bring awareness to the mineral space in order to help investors and companies buy and sell deals and form new partnerships. If you're interested in scheduling a call to explore ways the Minerals and Royalties Authority can help your team through our offering of consulting services for business development, marketing, capital raising, and A&D, then please send me an email at tim at mineralsauthority.com. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share these episodes with anyone in your network that you think would enjoy. Thanks, and see you next time.